1: you do you let true green do your lawn care visit truegreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed
2: this is america changed forever from the cbs audio network
1: do you hear that that is the sound of anticipation thousands of people packed together waiting together for something magical the Sound of Music in Concert Form. I want
3: y'all to sing with all your heart and soul. Here we
1: go! Something most Americans haven't heard since the pandemic started. Search through
4: the crowd. Search through the crowd. Your face is all
0: that I see. I want to give you.
1: But COVID-19 meant lights out for concert halls, music venues, and theaters across the country, big and small. The industry has had to adapt, and now, as the lights turn on again at venues that have been shuttered, what does it mean for the industry as a whole? That's what we'll explore today on America Changed Forever from the CBS Audio Network. Hello, I'm Jeff Begay, it's filling in for Gil Gross. Music has been an escape for millions of people during these trying times, but it's business and a passion for Sari Shore. She is a blues rock force of nature. In her song, she reveals her vulnerability and honesty. Her newest release is live in Europe, and the lyrics, you might say, ripped from the headlines because she delves into the social justice movement touched off by George Floyd's death last year. Sari, thanks for being with us. So, Sari, you've said that your home is your suitcase. Is that still the case given how the pandemic impacted the music industry in the past year?
3: And no, I had to learn how to put clothes in drawers. You know, I, I haven't been home for this long a stretch since I was 19. And it's it's a shock to your system. <laughs> you know, it really. In fact, my family still forgets I'm in town. They all got together over the weekend. They had this nice outdoor gathering and they didn't invite me. And I asked them why and they said they forgot I was home. Oh <laughs>
1: my goodness.
3: What have I done wrong? <laughs> so
1: this is an adjustment not only for you, but for your family. Yes, it is. So the pandemic has changed so many lives, but of course, you know, you faced obstacles that other musicians have faced. What What is the biggest one, do you think?
3: Mm, well... For me, it was losing the tour. We had this massive European tour right when COVID hit, you know, and this thing, it it took probably six months to put together a brand new album to promote. Very exciting time. A lot of anticipation around the tour. And, you know, things kick off. We're in the Netherlands. Then the next show is Belgium then the third show is austria we're getting ready to load in all the gear into the venue we have a sold out show everyone is happy especially the record label the news hits government is imposing restrictions on public gatherings can't exceed more than 400 people and our show is canceled so
1: you were overseas at the time
3: yeah and almost didn't make it back in fact we were in such a panic. We we had to get back from Austria to the UK. And that is, you know, no small trip. That's about 20 hours. And in a tour bus, you can't really make great time. But we were going through one country after another that was imposing lockdown. And I realized if I didn't get my band and crew out of Europe, I would go broke just we we got locked down somewhere the cost of hotels and and keeping the food you know going for everyone to stay alive it would just totally bankrupt me but we made we just barely made it back to the uk and um they were kind enough to slow down as they passed heathrow where i jumped out i had to leave everything behind except my passport and i literally ran through the terminal to catch the last flight back to new york and i'm thinking thank god i've run marathons Mm.
1: So was was that an unsettling beginning to an awful year or
3: (laughs) or have you found the silver lining in all of this? Well, you know, once I got back to Brooklyn, I decided to start saying, "Okay, I'm home. This This is this is nice. How can I make this even better? And then I would smile because when you smile, you fool your nervous system into actually believing you're happy. So the first thing I did was focus on songwriting and I'd go on these massive long walks, like five hour walks where else, but to LaGuardia airport, because even if <laughs> where else I'm, I'm just what? so used to going to airports <laughs> Yeah, from Park Slope to LaGuardia, that's a five hour walk folks. You should try it. It's really interesting, but I need to move when I'm writing lyrics and I'm normally doing that on the tour bus or a train or a plane or now very long walks. But you know, when I I had to do a lot of soul searching and figure out what is it that I really love about touring. And, you know, it's so clear when you, when you don't have that, it's what you miss is the human connection that makes you feel you're a part of something bigger. And as a storyteller, I just had to figure out a way to share my stories in a different way and figured out that I could I could do it instead of on stage but through the lens of my iPhone.
1: And that's interesting because shortly after you got back, relatively shortly, George Floyd happened. Yeah. And I say that because there is this this theme in some of your recent songs of social justice.
3: Uh, It's strange. Some of these songs, although they were written before the events, you know, really tap right into the social commentary, what was happening. So I repurposed the songs and created videos because I was involved in the Black Lives Matter protests and got some really great footage of uh, the peaceful protests that were happening all around New York. You know, and it was the same for Ordinary Life. I mean, that song was written before the pandemic, but what it did is it focused my attention to all of the most important things, the precious gifts of an ordinary life. And I started filming that video for Ordinary Life the day I was supposed to be in London for a big show, but um, thought, you know, this is a way for me to share the haunting images of New York City and... You know, initially the concept was to, to show my fans overseas, you know, what New York looks like in this haunting moment in time. And it turned out to be a celebration of the resilience of the human spirit.
1: Let's talk about your background and how you related to the social justice movement. You are a white woman. Um, did you grow up in Brooklyn,
3: New York? I actually grew up in Queens. And, you know, I, I always consider myself so lucky that I, I found my passion in life really early on. I, since I was five years old, I wanted to be a singer I wanted to be a songwriter. But because of that, I always felt that I needed to find a way to give back the, the good fortune that I've had. So, um, and thank, you know, my mom did a great job. When she was raising us, you know, introducing us to a lot of different social causes and making us aware, you know, that, you know, there were so many people, you know, that didn't have the privileges we took for granted and we would volunteer, you know, in all these different places and it made a big impact on me.
1: Well, how do you know when you have a song that's going to appeal to a wide audience? Do you have a team that you work with or do you feel it in your gut?
3: Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I I am afraid I have thrown away stuff that probably deserve the light of day, but I'm so critical. Uh, So the first thing is, if it resonates with me, I figure, you know what, there is a likelihood that it's going to resonate with other people. If it moves me, if it gets me, you know, then... That's the first step. And then I've got a great record label to work with, Manhattan Records, and a wonderful manager, Alan Robinson, and the producers, you know, I've worked with Mike Vernon, the legendary Mike Vernon, who produced, you know, David Bowie, Fleetwood Mac, John Mayall, and uh, on my last album, the pleasure of working with my longtime collaborator, Henning Gerke. they, um, small group of people have my ear and I trust them. So they, they help guide me when I'm not quite sure
1: are you optimistic about the future
3: i am because i believe i truly believe every day is the first day of our lives and i believe we can reinvent ourselves the challenge is knowing what we want and having the expectation that those things are possible
1: sounds like your next song
3: (gasps) We'll write it together then. (laughs) Jeff, I give you credit for the idea. Sorry. Thank you. Good luck. Thanks so much. It was a pleasure to talk with you.
2: You're listening to America Changed Forever from the CBS Audio Network. Welcome back to America Changed Forever from the CBS Audio Network.
1: I'm Jeff Begay, filling in for Gil Gross. When COVID-19 hit, the lights on the Great White Way went dark as Broadway theaters were shuttered and dozens of hit musicals went silent. But the pandemic also closed hundreds of theaters that serve as homes away from home for touring musicals. Touring Broadway musicals comprise a multi-billion dollar business seen and heard by almost 20 million people per year. Joining us now are Bly Voth and Palm Koch, who are professional equity musical theater actors and singers who were touring with the 10-time Tony Award-winning musical The Band's Visit. Then, on March 12, 2020, in the middle of a week-long run in Pittsburgh, The Band's Visit ended abruptly. Before we start talking about the impact of COVID-19, tell us what life is typically like on the road for the cast and crew of a touring Broadway show and how many people actually hit the road when a show like yours goes on tour.
4: Life on tour is, for us, it was living out of a rented car with our dog and traveling across the country. Um, But for the collective whole, you know, um, among our touring company, it was upwards of 40-some people, 40, 50 people. That includes, you know, backstage and onstage and everybody else in between. We travel as a, a group. We go to, I mean, I think we ended up going to almost 20 different cities. It's a lot of
5: going to new cities and the local crew telling you, oh, you have to try this food thing or you have to try this food thing. The problem is every city's food specialty is fried. So (laughs) You know, one city's got fried Coca-Cola, one city's got fried Oreos, and you keep telling yourself, oh, well, I'm only in Cleveland once or I'm only in Toronto once. (laughs) Except the problem is you're eating some fried monstrosity. Every single week.
4: Yes, that's true. Mm -hmm.
1: And so, Bly, you auditioned and got the gig for the tour in February of 2019. And, Pom, you were in the original on Broadway. You were in Pittsburgh when the show closed. Did you have any idea that touring companies were being threatened by COVID-19? And how did you find out that the show was closing?
4: An an unfortunate and fortunate aspect of touring life is you really do kind of live in this bubble. So I have to say, my understanding and awareness of the severity of COVID and a potential shutdown was very, very low. I I don't think it was sort of on our radar. Um, I remember when we were in St. Louis, right before Pittsburgh, I started hearing about cases and I thought, oh, it's, it's not going to hurt us, you know, we're we're moving around. Um, And then when we were in Pittsburgh, um, the, the things started to slowly change or rather quickly change, um, but they were small changes, you know, like, please no one bring anyone backstage. And the, the, quick decline of the tour was pretty jarring um it went from we're gonna work through this this one week in pittsburgh and you know we'll send you guys home for a couple of weeks on sunday to friday midday you have a couple of hours to get stuff that you care about out of the theater and we'll talk soon
1: so it's been a year you sound like a happy couple still But has has the last year been challenging not being on the road, being at home? Actually, you know, I mean, I think a lot of
5: couples are finding out. I think there's the attitude of, you know, if you make it through COVID, you're probably set for life. And if there's faults in the relationship, those fault lines are going to be pretty exacerbated. Um, You know, that's the trope at this point. And I would, I think that, that, that rings true.
4: Um, But at least in this, in this scenario, feeling like, you know, the thing I love doing most in the world was sort of taken away and it's still question mark, question mark about when it's coming back to have somebody else to go through all of those feelings with has been, um, actually just a a weird, odd blessing.
1: And so what about your income was that, you know,
4: when the show closes, do you still get paid or is that it? You do not still get paid. Um, you know, we've had a, uh, we, it's also as, as gig workers and as, as people who've, you know, worked in multiple States in 2019, Um, you know, it's, it's been a really rough go of it, trying to piecemeal, you know, tiny odd jobs together to sort of survive. And um, we, we're not an easy, it's not an easy unemployment situation. Um, You know, if you looked at our, at our employment for 2019 into 2020, I mean, we're a nightmare. Mm,
1: So that has been a challenge. Um, and so, what what else about this pandemic has really challenged you as performers?
5: Well, I, you know, we're we're in New York right now, um, and you know, I think that the pandemic, like like everything else, the pandemic hasn't so much created as many new problems as it's exacerbated the problems that were already there, mm-hmm. right? So, the problems that actors face in general are going to be, uh, you know. Uh, It's going to be problems qualifying for and keeping your health care. It's going to be having a consistent income. You know, you can, no matter how great of a job you have, you will eventually lose that job because all shows and all films and TV shows, everything eventually closes. Um, And, you know, cost of living in a city like New York and that those problems, which were issues before, have now just kind of exploded for us and for everybody, Um, you know, big problem that a lot of actors are having right now is, is, is we get our healthcare uh, through weeks worked. Um, we get our healthcare through our union and you qualify for that based on how many weeks you work in a calendar year. And nobody's worked in the theater for the last year. So you have a wave of tens of thousands of people. Uh, and that includes not just uh, actors, but stagehands, everybody who are losing their healthcare right now.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: And you two are now collaborating
4: outside of the theater. Is that accurate? We have, I I do often uh, make Pom play. He's very, he's, he is much more um, musically inclined with instruments than I am. So I do make him play for me and sing along with me. Um, We've done a handful of, around the holiday season, we did um, like a few like holiday parties that we, you know, booked gigs for. Zoom holiday parties. Come with us on that (laughs) journey, a Zoom (laughs) holiday party. Uh,
3: Okay, so
1: I don't want to put you on the spot,
4: but...
1: Could you perform a little something for us
4: right now?
5: Whoa, what do you want to
1: do, honey? Well. You
5: want me to get my guitar?
4: Yeah, get your guitar. I have an old woman Named after my mother Old man, is another Child is born old Dreams with thunder, lightning was desire. This old house would have burned down a long time ago. Make me an angel, flies from Montgomery. Make me a coaster of an old radio. Just give me one thing. That can hold
1: on to. to leave it, it's living. It's just a hard way to go. That was
5: beautiful. And that's for, that's for the late, great John Prime, yes. who was one of the saddest losses of COVID. Absolutely.
1: It's been a tough, tough year for millions, tens of millions of people across this world. But, you know, many of us look to music to to help us get away from it all, to escape. And Bly, I know that uh, you're working on a country music album.
4: Yeah, I like the I like the question mark after it because I often feel that same way.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is is this a this is something new for
4: you. It is. And, you know, I started working on it right before I went out on tour um, with a a producer friend of mine and, you know, sort of learning the ins and outs of writing your own music and and like adapting also music that he had written to sort of better showcase my voice and and sort of like the sound that I thought I had and was sort of playing around with. Um, it's, it's, there are, there's a lot of time where it's really hard to kind of inspire creativity. Um, but for me, if I can sing a little bit every day that often bolsters my mood, you know, my, my energy and my sort of like day-to-day excitement, even though we're still sort of all together paused.
5: Yeah, and I don't write anything. I just play Bruce Springsteen covers by myself, so. <laughs>
1: well, hey, that works too, yeah. that works too. And so are these, you know, I'm, I'm wondering, well, I, I think I know the answer to this, but this is the way you've had to stretch yourself in different ways is sort of, you know, what the pandemic has forced so many of us to do.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, you know,
1: I, I think that
5: the question of, of whether, you know, anyone's developed new hobbies or been creative or not is so, I think it's person by person. I think, you know, Tracy Letts is an amazing playwright. And he just in an interview with the New York Times about what he'd done during the pandemic, he he was very blunt. and said it was absolutely nothing. He had no inspiration, no creativity whatsoever. Um, and, you know, I think I felt, I felt, uh, a similar way, I think that especially when you when you're in the performing arts, that's a um, it's so participatory, it's so based on the audience that if there is no audience or an audience is just hypothetical, it can be kind of hard to find the energy. I think uh, I I think a lot of actors maybe in the best case scenario would have almost used this time as practice for the inevitable career drips <laughs> career dips that follow. You know, the the hard part about being an actor is not working.
1: Palm Kosh is an actor, performer, and advocate for artist rights based in New York City. Fly Both is an actor, singer, writer living in New York City. The music you hear is Better Don't. That's Fly's soon-to-be-released single from her upcoming EP.
2: You're listening to America Changed Forever from the CBS Audio Network.
5: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey
0: today with Byte.
1: Welcome back to America Change Forever from the CBS Audio Network. I'm Jeff Begays filling in for Gil Gross. When COVID-19 stifled musical expression, two legendary music producers, Timbaland and Swizz Beats. Challenged each other to an online battle, playing their biggest hits against each other. That battle gave birth to the webcast series Versus. Khalifa Sana takes a look at the new innovation that attracts millions of viewers to watch artists face off live, like DMX against Snoop Dogg, and even legends like Patti LaBelle and
3: Gladys Knight. We met a long, mm. long time ago, but we've been like family since. Absolutely, yes.
0: Patty Labelle and Gladys Knight have done
3: it all. We had our babies at the same time. We're trying to work. We're trying to be on stage. Remember that, Patty? Yes, baby. I'm her biggest fan. I mean, my goodness, when she sings, "If I Were Your Woman," that's the song that makes me crazy. So,
0: so. Last year, for the first time, they went head to head. Comparing their greatest hits as part of an online music battle series. It's called Versus.
3: I didn't know what it was in the beginning. Her son had to let her know what Versus was. She said, what is a Versus? But see, I wasn't really at that time up on the internet. You know, I'm just really getting into it.
2: Today is somebody's birthday. Let's get it. In a
0: Versus matchup,
2: See, no way to play the game the way I play.
0: Two artists come together to play their biggest songs. With people all over the world watching live on social media. Now, Miss Patty, Miss Patty, I know you're a flip phone person, right?
3: How do you know that?
0: Don't, don't tell me that you were watching <laughs> Versus on your flip phone.
3: No, I was watching it on my TV, honey. My son hooks me up.
2: We didn't even make an announcement, we didn't make a flyer. Versus was created by two pioneering hip hop
0: producers, Swizz Beats and Timbaland. They've worked with just about everyone in hip hop and pop music. In fact, Swizz Beats is married to Alicia Keys. During the early days of the pandemic, with concerts shut down, they wanted to give people a show. And they were inspired by a long tradition of musical competition. When reggae DJs go head-to-head, it's called a sound clash. And in hip-hop, there is a history of friendly battling, and not-so-friendly battling, as seen in the film 8 Mile, starring Eminem.
2: What's the matter, dog? You in Paris? guy's a
4: gangster his real
0: name Clarence. you really talk about how it's about bringing people together it's a celebration which is it is it a celebration or is it a competition
2: definitely a celebration celebration but i think that the competitive spirit is always good as well you want to play your best songs you want to be calculated because you want to please your audience right right and so like oh when this person play this i'm gonna play that yo that's crazy what's up, what's up?
0: I'm in the car. That's they started I'm verses on a whim with Swizz Beats car. versus Timbaland.
2: You having fun? This is so good for the culture. Let's go.
0: Timbaland was in his basement, Swizz beats in his car.
2: You changed the radio with that, but I changed the streets with this. You didn't have a set list
0: arranged in advance.
2: I, I definitely didn't. I, 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 was, I was using YouTube. I was using iTunes. I mean, I was just pulling up like my name, like. Playlist that people made, and I was just picking them as he was playing his tracks. We just gonna do it something like this. Man.
0: In their matchup, Swiz played Get Me Body, one of his hits with Beyonce. Timbaland responded with Get Your
2: Freakage, one of his hits with Missy Elliott. When it's happening, you, you're not, your, your mind is working so fast. Right, right. There's hundreds of songs that me and Tim produce each. There's no way we're remembering all the songs. Now Versus itself is a hit, too. I knew it was something special when everybody kept saying who's next and what's next.
0: There have been 24 matchups so far. Most recently, the reclusive soul singer D'Angelo came to the Apollo Theater, where he competed against himself. Thank Uh, y'all for hanging out Hey, hold up, homie, hold up, hold up, hold up. But sometimes, these celebrations can be tense. Then there's Gucci Mane and Young Jeezy, two of the great rappers from Atlanta, and these are guys that have a real history. I want to welcome everybody out there in the internet world to this history. There's more than 15 years of bad blood between them. In 2005, Gucci Mane was charged with murdering one of Jeezy's
2: protégés, although the charges were dropped. And here they are in the same room. My phone is blowing up. Everybody, like, cancel it. Shut it down. Stop now. (laughs) It's going to finish Versus. This is going to be a massacre. Let's do it. Instead,
0: the two sworn enemies made peace. Because life is too short. Put your differences aside. Made headlines and made verses less about rivalry and more about respect.
3: We don't believe in trying to outdo each other. We just do. And that's what we did. And we had sister fun.
0: Versus was acquired by the media company Triller, which plans to keep the matchups coming, even once the pandemic is over. Are we ever going to see
1: Paul McCartney versus Mick Jagger versus?
2: You know, we plan on going global with it, And there's music and genres that, that we're going to cover. That's going to be amazing.
1: Versus co-founder Swiss Beats.
2: You're listening to America Changed Forever from the CBS Audio Network.
1: Welcome back to America Change Forever from the CBS Audio Network. I'm Jeff Begay's filling in for Gil Gross. The smash hit Say So by singer-songwriter and rapper Doja Cat blew up on TikTok, becoming a global phenomenon charting in over 50 countries. Say So went quadruple platinum, that's 4 million sales, in the United States alone. The remix version with Nicki Minaj went to number one on the Billboard charts. But get this, because of COVID-19, Doja Cat has not performed that song in a live concert venue ever. Helping us to understand how artists are finding success in the age of COVID and how the pandemic has perhaps changed the way we consume music forever is Bill Wardy currently the director of the Bandier program in the Newhouse School of Public Communication at Syracuse University. Bill previously served as editorial director for Billboard. So Bill, despite the shutdown of the live music industry, the major labels, they've still been able to make up the revenue. How have they been doing it?
6: Well, you know, for the record business, as opposed to the music business overall, uh, COVID has not changed much about the fundamentals of their business. Uh, people are still listening to music, and in fact, uh, most indicators are people are listening to more music than ever. And uh, what we saw was uh, generally, you know, growth in streaming and growth in streaming revenue. And we're at a point in time where, for record labels, streaming, depending on the label, can represent you know 90 percent of revenue. So, you know, when you look at what actually happened, it's it's actually it, it turned out, and this is a, a dark thing to say, but it turned out that COVID was. Uh, a good opportunity for the record business. What about the artists? Well, if we zoom out and we take a longer view at the overall music industry, COVID was as devastating for the music business as it was for uh, possibly any industry. And this is due largely to the, to the obvious uh, complete and total loss of touring revenue. Uh, you know, for, for a typical established artist, touring revenue might be, you know, two thirds or more of their income. Certainly on a touring year for an arena act, uh, that's the biggest part of their livelihood. And not only is it about those artists, but those arena acts, those stadium acts, they're usually supporting their own cottage industry of hundreds of people that are employed to uh, keep them on the road and help them put on a great show. So, you know, there were thousands of jobs either furloughed or lost during Covid, uh, particularly in the live sector, and we're talking about the major agencies. We're talking about the major tour promoters like Live Nation and AEG. We're uh, talking about all of the crew. We're talking about local venues, uh, many of whom will not come back after Covid. Um, so yeah, it was it was pretty devastating on that front.
1: It sounds like there have been some innovations in the music industry that will last.
6: Y- yeah. So. You know, Covid certainly has led to innovation in the music industry that I would expect to stick around. Some of that is because, you know, there were some good ideas. Uh, I think Covid forced social media to get a lot more social and a lot more engaging. You had programs like Versus uh, where, you know, you had top uh, hip hop and R&B stars uh, sort of competing, but really more just almost storytelling Against each other, you know, I'm going to play my catalog, you're going to play your catalog, and we're going to see what the fans, you know, love more. Um, And that really became sort of one of the the runaway hits in the music space um, during COVID. And that was, you know, that was based at least initially entirely on Instagram. Uh, You were seeing uh, hundreds of thousands of people tune in for these shows. In some cases, these Instagram shows were generating larger audience than some popular cable shows at different times. So You know, I think broadly speaking, the rise of streaming that happened during COVID is going to stick around. Um, It's going to stick around because it's created some exciting new experiences for music fans. Uh, And I think it's also likely to have every opportunity to stick around because it took in a lot of investment from some of the major players in the music space. Um, Live Nation, which is the largest music promoter, the largest tour promoter in the world, uh, they bought a company called Veeps, which is you know, which exists to create the infrastructure and uh, the technology to stream music and to stream specifically uh, events, stream stream live shows, live performances, things like that. Um, Scooter Braun, the famous manager of Ariana Grande and uh, Justin Bieber, um, he bought in on a company called uh, Moment House. He invested heavily in a company called Moment House, which again is another company that, you know, sort of emerged during the uh, pandemic to stream live shows. So, you know when big players like this are putting money down on a on a technology uh, you can bet that it's going to have every opportunity to have legs um so yeah i mean i expect a lot of that to stick around one of the big questions in the music business is exactly how uh, much fans are going to want to do anything online once they do have the alternative right i think i can speak for an awful lot of music fans when i say uh, i'm going to be happy not to spend time staring at my screen Particularly if my alternative is going to an actual concert. Um, but all that said, you know, listen, um, streaming, so all forms of social video were generally growing before COVID. COVID exploded that growth, really hastened that growth. And I think we will see um, that into the future. The other thing to keep in mind is there's going to be a lot of, of um, pressure on the acts and on the promoters to make up lost money, right? There was almost literally not a dollar made in the touring space. Uh, during the year of COVID in America. And so, you know, you're going to have this mad rush back to the venues. There's going to be a lot of competition for those venues. There's going to be a lot of crowding, uh, you know, and so I'm hearing all sorts of changes that may come from what we've considered the typical touring business, right? You may see uh, multiple shows a night in a venue as people try to make up some of this lost revenue. But with that, I think you may also see um, tours looking to streaming to create additional revenue. So if I'm a touring artist, um, you know, if I sell out a show, then do I add a live stream? Maybe taking some money from a brand partner. Maybe charge fans a small amount who couldn't, you know, get a ticket to go to the sold-out show, and now they're able to have that experience at least online. So yeah, I, I think you'll you'll see some of the things that emerged during COVID continue to play a role in the music business for sure. Um, and then you know, I don't know if this is germane, and it's not so much to do with COVID. But the other big story in terms of like new technology and music during this time period was the emergence of NFTs, uh, non fungible tokens. The idea that we can take art or art and music, turn it into a digital experience, tokenize it so it, it can't be duplicated per se. Um, and you're seeing uh, a lot of value flow into that space right now, both from investors and from fans who are, who are buying these new NFTs from, from artists. NFT stands for non fungible token. And basically, it's sort of where um, any form of art intersects with the concept of the blockchain and particularly Bitcoin. So that is to say, um, you can take a piece of art. Let's say you make a, uh, a song and you have a music video with it. Typically, what we might have thought about doing with that video was just uploading it to YouTube and letting fans stream it. But... In the NFT space, uh, you can sort of give it a, a unique ID, as it were, a unique a unique address. Uh, it's called tokenizing, and so the non-fungible part means, you know, this is the one version of this artwork that exists. So it's almost like, you know, in the non-digital space, if you thought about, well, I'm going to record a song, and then instead of uploading it to Spotify and letting people stream it, I'm going to sell it to one bidder, right? And so you're seeing some of those economics play out in what people are referring to as NFTs. And the, the pricing, right, where you have bands in particular that have a big following and have super fans, um, this sort of created scarcity combined with the hype in general around all things blockchain right now is really driving a lot of sort of staggering prices to, to, to some of these artists and some of these artworks.
1: We're going to have more music success stories in the age of COVID from Bill Wardy, right after this.
2: You're listening to America Changed Forever from the CBS Audio Network. Man, that sunset is gorgeous.
0: Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting
2: for you. I could stay here forever.
0: Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today.
1: Welcome back to America Change Forever from the CBS Audio Network. I'm Jeff Begays filling in for Gil Gross. Bill Warty, the Bandir Program in the Newhouse School of Public Communication at Syracuse University, is back with us, exploring triumphs and travails of music performers during the COVID nineteen pandemic. How has the pandemic impacted diversity, equity, and inclusion in the music industry?
6: You know, one of the things, obviously, that started well before COVID, and and then we saw some some real focus on it during these same times were protests particularly around police violence but in general just you know protests of people who were saying enough is enough as it relates to the treatment of people of color in our society but you know the truth is as much as the music industry got involved and made commitments in this space the music industry still has such just an enormous like way to go
1: you know what it, it just sounds Uh, Given the leadership ranks and the makeup of the leadership ranks in the industry right now, and yet you have this power that black artists wield.
6: Yeah, I mean, there's no question black artists do have a lot of power in the music industry. Um, And there's no question that the shifting nature of how artists can record and distribute their music and monetize their music is putting more power into the hands of artists in general and specifically black artists. Um so again it it leaves me hopeful that we'll have this conversation in a year's time, in 2 years time, in 3 years time and we will see uh actual meaningful progress in some of these areas where the music industry is lagging. Um but if you look at the, the long history of the music industry and really any industry, uh, we see a tenacious status quo. Um, and so, you know, until that's really broken through, I think it's something that we need to keep watching and we need to keep talking about because there's a difference between, you know, the artists that have a lot of power right now um, and who's actually calling the shots for the industry. And as artists gain more and more power, you'll see more and more of these artists calling those shots. I mean, you know, Jay Z famously, you know, said, "I'm a businessman," like, you know, and he's and he's lived that life since then. He's put himself into these positions through his using his leverage wisely to take ownership positions and to be able to call some shots. But for the most part, you know, the the artist's power that we're recognizing that shows up in the form of you know, the revenues they're generating, their share of the pop charts and the hip hop charts, and, you know, the charts out there, the streaming charts. Um, but it it just hasn't shown up in the boardrooms yet fully. And in, until that happens, I, I, I do say that we're still living uh, with some legacies that would be better shook off.
1: Bill, thank you.
6: I appreciate it. Thank you for thinking of me.
1: This has been America Change Forever. From the CBS Audio Network, produced by District Productive and Paul Woody Woodhull. For Gil Gross, I'm Jeff Begates.
5: The Hargan women seem to have it all.
3: From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing.
6: But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household.
5: Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering.
6: I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, early and ad-free on Wondery Plus, starting
5: May 1st.